Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning. Uh, for those who do not know me, my name is John Alexanian. I'm the youth director here. Hi. Um, kids, I have some good news and some bad news. Um, the good news is you don't have to go out into the cold. Uh, the bad news is it's the, we're, doing, we're not doing Sunday school today. <laughs> um, so you guys are going to hang out with us. But actually, I kind of want to start with you guys. So kids, I'm talking anybody under 40. Um, <laughs> all right. Just out of pure curiosity, now that we've wrapped up Christmas, now that we've wrapped up Christmas, what was your favorite part? Kids, I mean this. Feel free to stand up and shout this one. What was your favorite part of Christmas? I will call on people. <laughs> what is it? Santa. Santa. Yeah. Did you get some cool presents? Yeah. yeah. Gifts. Gifts in Santa. What else? What else is cool about Christmas? Christmas carols. Yeah. How many people went out Christmas caroling this year just by a show of hands? Good. Six of you. Okay. <laughs> what else? Anybody, anybody love Christmas light looking? Anybody do that this year? Yeah. Decorations. Cool. Uh, I like Christmas too. Um, this past week we got to go with our small group. We went to Naples. Anybody ever done Naples and walked around there? There's just some cool Christmas lights there. That's really fun. Uh, my favorite part of Christmas though, I don't know what it is, but I like having like a cup of tea or cider in my hand as we walk to see Christmas lights. I just love doing that, you know, with the wife next to me. I love that. It's a fun thing. I like Christmas. Um, and Christmas trees, dude. Everybody loves those Christmas trees. But one of my favorite things about Christmas, or let me say this way. I like Christmas a lot, but there's always been something about Christmas that's kind of bothered me. And I don't know if you've ever picked up on this either. And I'm not just talking about eggnog, which is disgusting. Okay? <laughs> that stuff is filthy. It's gross. If you like it, you're wrong. Um, those of us who do not like it, we are the remnant. You need to understand we are holding the truth. Don't let others sway you. That stuff's filthy. But one thing, in all seriousness, one thing has always bothered me at Christmas time. And we actually sung it today. Um, and we read it on Christmas Eve. It's a part out of Luke's gospel. It's a part out of Luke's gospel, that part right after Jesus is born, when we're told that a multitude of angels appeared before the shepherds. Remember this scene? They just fill the sky all over the place, an innumerable amount. And they sing glory to God in, high, in the highest heavens and peace on earth to those on whom his favor rests. Gloria in excelsis Deo. Glory to God in the highest, peace on earth. What's always bothered me about that line is not, is not that the event occurred. I want to be clear on this. It's, what bothers me is not whether or not angels showed up and did this. I believe that happened. And I believe they sang that probably in Hebrew or Aramaic, probably not in English. But I believe they sung something to that effect. But what's always bothered me about it is I can't help but wonder when they say peace on earth, what peace they're talking about. Because when I look around, I don't see peace on earth. When I look around, I especially don't see peace on earth for God's people those on whom his favor rests. There's always something that's bothered me. Um, I got distracted. <laughs> <laughs> to make this point clear, all you have to do is look around. 
All you have to do is turn on the news, right? All you have to do is look at the intense persecution, the intense suffering that our brothers and sisters face all around the world to clearly see that there is no peace on earth. But it's not just... It's not just abroad that we face persecution. It's not just abroad that we see suffering. Suffering and persecution are things that happen here as well. This is something we've talked about over the last few, I don't know, few weeks as we've kind of worked through Peter's book, especially the passages on suffering. Um, There's times here at home where some of you have probably been harassed for your faith. Some of you have been teased for your faith. It may not be the same persecution. It may not be the same type. It may not be the same intensity as our brothers and sisters face across the world, but there is still persecution all over the world. Many of our brothers and sisters have become social outcasts in their communities, unable to provide for their families, unable to provide work, uh, provide food for their families. Many of them face kidnappings, tortures, mutilations, all because they profess Christ to be king. And here at home, some of those types that we face are, some of you have faced financial persecution Financial persecution in the sense that you go to work and for whatever reason, you're not willing to turn a blind eye, right? You're not willing to fudge the numbers on some expense report. You're not willing to to ignore something that you know the king would not honor, the king would not approve of. And because of that, your boss took away your bonus. Your boss keeps you back from a promotion because they're not willing to cross those gray areas that you need to be. That's a form of persecution. Other forms of persecution that we face, maybe some of you face this... um, Maybe some of you face this even this Christmas season and you're even just showing up here licking your wounds after Christmas where you, um, sorry, I'm a little distracted. <laughs> um, some of you may be coming here uh, after, after Christmas and you're licking your, let's just start over. How are we doing? <laughs> you good? I was a little distracted. I apologize for that. Are we good, though? Yeah, you're good. I'm good. So we agree there's persecution in the world. Everybody agrees to this? Yes. Sometimes we face it. Sometimes we don't face it. But there's different types of persecution all over the world that we go through. And every time I think about persecution and I think about that song, Glory to God in the highest, peace on earth to those on whom his favor rests, I can't help but wonder what peace on earth I can't help but wonder an even bigger question. Why does God allow this suffering to continue? If the church is the people of God, the people on whom God's favor rests, and so if the church is the people of God, the people on whom God's favor rests, and if, I'm blanking again, I apologize. If the birth of Christ, we're good now, if the birth of Christ brought peace on earth and the death of Christ brings the defeat of sin and the powers uh, of death. Why does suffering need to continue? This is what I want to talk about with you today. What is the purpose of suffering? What is the role that suffering could possibly have in the life of a Christian? What possible benefit is there in God allowing suffering to continue? The reason I want to ask these questions is because we've been working through 1 Peter for a while now, and as I imagine, as I read through 1 Peter, I imagine these are the same questions Peter's audience started to ask. And you may wonder, well, how do you go from talking about Christmas to talking about 1 Peter? Well, here's why. As a church, as I said, we've been talking about Peter for three months or so. For three months, we've been working through Peter. And if you remember, the first chapter and a half of Peter, the first chapter and a half of Peter, he talks about the incredible salvation we've been given. 
in Christ. He talks about what Christ has done for us, how Christ has taken us once. We who were not a people have been made the people of God. We are now Christ's royal priesthood. We are members of his holy nations. We have citizenship in his kingdom. So he talks about that for about a chapter and a half. And then he goes on for another couple chapters to talk about what it looks like to live as a Christian to live as a person in God's kingdom in a world that is hostile to Christ. This is what Peter talks about. And so what happens throughout all of this, Peter kind of sums up what it looks like to live in a hostile society by saying we are to live such good lives that whatever comes our way, uh, be it good things, bad things, suffering, persecution, plagues, famine, whatever it is, we will live such good lives that people will see the way that we live and they will come to honor our Father on the day he visits us. This is Peter's advice. Everything Peter says in his gospel, or excuse me, his letter, for the four and a half chapters that we've covered so far, everything he says is simple, it's practical, it's straightforward. It's really easy to understand. He, he's very clear on, look, there's gonna be suffering in the world and this is how you're gonna address it. But he never addresses the fundamental question of why is there suffering at all anyways? He never addresses the fundamental issue of, of why God allows this to continue. And it develops a tension even as you read. I went back through and reread and read and read and read 1 Peter. And I'm just telling you, you come to this part and there's a tension that kind of builds and you go, Okay, that's great. I now know how to live in light of suffering, and I know what it looks like to live in a world that's hostile to Christ. But why is there suffering anyways? Again, if the church is the people of God, those on whom Christ's favor rests, and the birth of Christ brought peace on earth, and the death of Christ brought the defeat of sin and the powers of death, then, then why does God allow this to happen? So Peter picks up on this tension and he's gonna work us through this today. In his concluding thoughts as he turns, he's gonna turn and shift and kind of explain what the role of suffering is. Peter doesn't dismiss it. You're not gonna be like at the end of this, oh, so that's why God allows suffering. But what you're gonna see is Peter is going to give us an understanding of how God works through suffering in our lives. That's what we're gonna look at today. And so with that, I invite you to open up to 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4, we're going to look at verses 12 to 19. 1 Peter 4, verses 12 to 19. It is on page 852 in your pew Bibles. Are we there, guys? If we need more time, just let me know. We'll wait. I got this little tab. It makes it easy. 1 Peter 4, verses 12 to 19. Again, we're looking for... We're looking to understand what the role of suffering is, okay? Peter is shifting his letter. He's now going to turn to his concluding thoughts. That's what we're going to look at the next couple weeks. In his concluding thoughts on suffering, he's going to address what the role of suffering is. So verse 12. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice. Rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed, for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any other kind of criminal, or even as a meddler. However, 
If you suffer as a Christian, oh, don't be ashamed. But praise God that you bear that name. For it is time for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, as the proverb says, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then, those who suffer, according to God's will, should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. This is the word of the Lord. Peter starts out by telling us that when we suffer, we should rejoice. I already told you a few weeks ago, Peter is the worst pep talk coach you could ever have. You remember, you come into the locker room, beat up, and Peter goes, yeah, good for you, rejoice. And you're like, oh, I don't get it. But here's why he says this, okay? When you suffer, you should rejoice because your suffering creates a special bond between us and the Lord. A bond that comes about through shared experience, a bond that can really only come about through shared experiences, both in his sufferings and similar sufferings to Christ, and that will later result in sharing in his triumphs to come. Let me show you. Look again with me at 12 and 13. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice. Rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you will be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. When we suffer, we are reminded that we're actually, or that Christ suffered as well. That means when we suffer, we're following in the footsteps of Christ. We're doing the very same things he did. We're living the way he lived. In other words, we're being conformed into his likeness. We're starting to do the things Christ did. And for that reason, we should rejoice. As Christ suffered, so too will we suffer. That's a cool thing. We're like Jesus. That's cool. But Peter goes, oh, it's even better than that. It is even better than that. Your sufferings, they create a special intimate bond between you and the Lord because it comes about through shared experiences. Let me, let me give you an example here of shared experiences. I'm assuming several of you in this room have gone through some really difficult things. I'm assuming some of you have gone through some hard things, and I don't mean hard things like you lost your wallet or you misplaced your keys. I don't mean that. I mean the hard stuff. I'm talking the loss of a parent, the loss of a spouse, the death of a child, maybe a miscarriage, Maybe you went through years of infertility and just struggled and nobody understood that. Maybe it was some health complication, something that really shook you up, really scared you. Maybe it was some financial struggle where you and your family, you, know, you just scraped by for years, barely able to make ends meet. When you've gone through a difficult thing like that and you try and talk about it with other people, you notice that people kind of understand how hard it is, right? On some level, they go, yeah, that must have been really difficult. But they don't understand the depth of that difficulty. They don't understand exactly what that's like. But you find that when you find another person who's been through a similar experience, a shared experience, if you will, you have this deeper connection, this much deeper bond. You understand them on a whole new level. We call this empathy, 
empathy. You get them on a far deeper level. And so what happens is when they share about their sufferings, if they're in the midst of it and you've just gone through it, you get their pains. You get their sorrows. You get their frustrations. You get their hurts because you've been there. You remember what that was like, that you have a shared experience that nobody else other than others who have gone through that can understand. But it's more than that. It's not just that you share in the sorrows and in the sufferings. Because you've been in that pit with them, as they walk through, you are able to celebrate on a far deeper, richer level the triumphs that they come across. The little victories, the small things that to everybody else goes, what's the big deal there? But you remember sitting in that space. You remember what it was like when that happened, and you can celebrate alongside them far deeper, far more richly. And this is what Peter says happens when we suffer. When we suffer, we rightly understand who Christ is, what Christ went through. We get it on a far deeper level than going, oh yeah, that looked tough. No, we've been in it. So even as we approach the scriptures and we read what Christ went through, we have a deeper connection with him, a special sharing, a bond, special connection that comes. But Peter says, oh, it's not even better. So, so you should rejoice when you suffer. You should rejoice when you suffer, but you will be overjoyed when Christ returns. Because you've been in that pit, you get how big a triumph it is when he will return, when he overcomes, when he is vindicated. And so when he returns, because you've been in that place with him, you will be overjoyed. That's an incredible thing. So the first role of suffering, the first role of suffering in our life, the first thing that God does through suffering is that it creates a special bond between us and the Lord. A special bond. The second role suffering has in our lives is that it... Excuse me, my throat is a little dry. The second role that suffering and persecution have in our life is that it affirms we belong to the king. As we suffer for being a Christian, it affirms we are with Christ. So not only, not only are we being conformed in the image of Christ when we suffer, not only do we have a special bond that helps us to have a deeper, more intimate connection to the Lord, not only do we have that, but Peter says we should also, we are also given the enormous privilege of being labeled with Christ's name. We are marked. We have a special bond and we are marked as his people. We are marked as his family, which should be a source of great pride for each of us. Look at 14 and 16 with me. 14 and 16. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. For the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Now, if you should suffer, it should not be as a murderer or thief or any other kind of criminal, or even as a meddler, a busybody, a gossiper, a time waster. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. In the middle, Peter kind of has this little excursus here where he's like, look, if you're going to suffer for being an idiot, you deserve to suffer for being an idiot. If we're stupid enough to commit crimes, if we're stupid enough to waste our life, if we're stupid enough to spend our time gossiping or whatever it is, we deserve to face those consequences. Peter's like, that's on you. You're an idiot. But, but if we suffer, 
If we suffer for bearing the name of Christ, we should take great pride in the fact that we have been found worthy of being associated with him. Because not only does that mean we're with Christ, but it means we're actually recipients of his salvation. All the promises that Peter talks about at the beginning of his letter. Once we were not a people, now we are the people of God. The rest of the world is identifying us as that. It means we are also members of his royal priesthood, citizens in his kingdom, members of his holy nation. And because we are connected to the king, this is the best part. Because not only are we associated with the king, not only are we marked as the king's people, because we are associated with the king, when the king returns, which he will do very soon, if Advent teaches us nothing else, which he will do really soon, we will receive all the blessings that come with being associated with the king. When the king rides back into town, we will receive vindication. We will receive justice. We will receive peace. Everything salvation promises. So not only does suffering create a special bond between us and the king, it also affirms we belong to him. We are recipients of his salvation. We understand him better and we are marked as his people. We are marked as members of God's own household, which brings us to Peter's last point. Which brings us to Peter's last point. Peter's last point on the role of suffering in our lives is that suffering is a form of refinement. Suffering is a form of refinement in our lives. A refinement that, as he says at the beginning of his letter, if you go all the way back to chapter 1, it's what Pastor Chris preached on, uh, on, on Christmas Eve, is a refinement that proves the genuineness of our faith. But suffering is also a refinement that is indicative of the fact that God is working in the world. That God is reconciling the world to himself. Peter is going to show us that suffering is actually a sign that God is at work healing the world. God is at work fixing the world. God is at work correcting the world. The image we're going to look at is, it's like when you have a bad wound and you have to clean it. It's going to hurt like crazy, but it's necessary for healing. So look with me at 17 and 18. 17 and 18. For it is time for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel? And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Now, I'll admit it, you read this passage and you think, what? <laughs> On the surface, it seems like he's saying, God's going to punish you, just like he's going to punish the rest of the world. Right? That's kind of how we read judgment sometimes, but that's, that's not what he's getting at. The Bible does make it clear. The Bible makes it very clear that as, as Christians, along with the rest of the world, we will be judged. But here's the thing. When God comes to bring judgment, he's not handing out punishments. That's often how we think of, of judgment, right? Like, oh, I got to go to mom. She's going to yell at me and she's going to give me some punishment. That's not what God does. God's judgment is a way of reordering the world, a way of fixing the world, a way of reconciling the world, the way of putting things back together, correcting things. That's what happens when God judges the world. The script, uh, and so think about it like this. God is, when, what Peter is saying here is the restoration process has begun. And again, restoration is another way of healing. 
purifying, fixing, correcting, right? Now, this is why I like the image of the, the wound analogy for the couple doctors in the room and the nurses. You're going to love this, okay? You're going to be like fascinated. So I want you guys to picture a wound. And I mean like a gnarly wound, like super gross, super gross. The kind where the doctors are kind of like, ooh, fascinating. And the nurses are like, oh, that's interesting as well. And the rest of us want to vomit, okay? <laughs> that kind of wound. I want you to picture a wound like that. I don't know if it's on your arm or wherever it is, but a wound like that. They're gross. It's stinky. The only way to cure that room, the only way to fix that is there's no easy like, oh, just take a pill and wait five minutes and then poof, you're good. No, to get a wound like that, it's painful, right? You gotta either tear the Band-Aid off, you gotta stick it under the water, you gotta scrub it, you gotta spray it with Bactine. Maybe you're not supposed to do that, you should ask a doctor before you do that, but... <laughs> the point is, the point is, in order to clean a wound, in order to cure that wound, it's gonna hurt. It's gonna, it's gonna take a long time. It's gonna be painful, but it's the only way that you'll be healed, the only way you'll be restored. And so what Peter's getting at is, this is what happens with the judgment of God. God is judging the world, meaning God is making things right again. God is purifying and cleansing this world. It's not the way he intended it to be. It's an infection. And to do so, he starts with his own people. And if it's difficult for us, Peter says, imagine how hard it is going to be for those who do not know the Lord. Now, this is where I want to come back to that whole peace on earth thing. Remember, we started talking about the peace on earth uh, and that, that, that part where the angels show up before the shepherds and sing glory to God in the highest heavens and peace on earth to those on whom his favor rests. Remember, if you said, every time I read that line, I kind of got frustrated because I'd wonder what peace on earth. So I started looking into it and I started researching it and I started to try and understand what are they talking about? What are they trying to communicate in that whole thing? And what I found was, um, what I found is they're not declaring, okay, this is key. When the disciples come and, or excuse me, the angels come and declare peace on earth, they are not declaring that there will be no more evil. They are not declaring that there will be no more wars, no more suffering, no more persecution. Rather, what they are declaring when they sang glory to God in the highest and peace on earth, they are declaring that a profound shift has occurred between the relationship between God and man. A profound shift has occurred that now through the birth of a small baby born in Bethlehem, which we celebrated a couple days ago, God has stepped into his creation. As Matthew says, God has dwelt among us. God has drawn near to us, and God beckons us to draw near to him. Through this little baby, as John says, this lamb who comes to take away the sins of the world, this baby who died. I love, I love this. If you've never caught this, I love that in the background of the nativity is the cross, because this baby knew all along where he was going. This baby who came to die on our behalf this baby who came to die on our behalf comes with peace. Comes a restored, harmonious relationship between us and God through the birth of this baby. It's what, this is what the angels are singing glory to God in. The reconciliation process has begun. With the birth of Christ, God begins restoring the world. That's why we say peace. But with peace also comes judgment. Again, not judgment of handing out punishment, but judgment of saying, I'm going to fix this. I'm going to reconcile this. I'm going to put things back together. 
God never said that this reconciliation process was gonna be easy. This whole peace on earth thing, right? It's not supposed to be easy. Christ himself declares that we are to pick up our cross and follow him. If you look at the life of Christ, when he started the whole thing, Christ suffered immense persecution. Christ suffered immense suffering. Christ suffered to the point of death on the cross. Reconciliation, fixing the world, making the world back the way it was supposed to be is never an easy process. It's hard. It's messy. It's like cleaning a wound. It hurts. It hurts. But just as the king suffered as he began to put the world back together, so too will we suffer as God continues to reconcile the world. And he does so by beginning with us. The sufferings, the persecution, the judgment that we face on this planet, on this side of heaven, the persecutions, that's part of God working in us to refine us, to build us up, to correct us, to make us back to the way we were intended to be, to show us to live the life we were created for. In order to do that, he's got to scrape off some of the gunk that we've kind of accumulated over the years. It's hard, but part of persecution is that it refines us. It refines us. But here's where Peter brings his whole truth home to us. Peter tells us, and Peter's been hitting this throughout his entire letter. If you go back, you're going to see this. And he crystallizes it in this. When we suffer alongside Christ, we have a special bond. We better understand who he is, and we better understand what he has accomplished And because we understand him to a new, deeper level, when he returns, we will celebrate and long for his return on a far greater level than we could have ever imagined prior to that. But also, suffering marks us as his people, people who have received the blessings of his salvation, people who have received the peace between us and God, people who have received membership in his household, citizenship in his kingdom, and an association with the king that will bring vindication, justice, and peace when he returns. Lastly, suffering, through suffering, we are refined. We are purified. We are made ready for his return. The reconciliation process, God's judging of the world is messy. It's messy. And at times it's not very fun. But Peter wants us to understand that suffering is indicative of the fact that God is at work in the world and in our lives. God is not hands off. God is in there doing something. He's restoring the world. He's cleaning it up. So if you find yourself harassed for your faith or persecuted for your beliefs in whatever form that might be, don't whine about it. Don't look, as it, look at it as a reason to doubt your faith. Oh, am I really believing? Am I in this for the right thing? I get that. Believe me, I get that temptation. Don't do that, he says. Don't throw up your hands and walk away and go, well, it's just easier to join this group. No, don't do that. Instead, recognize that through persecution, recognize that through the sufferings that you face, in whatever form it is for you, you are drawing closer to the Lord. You are being affirmed that you are part of his people. And remember that you will share in his glories when he returns and fulfills his promise of peace on earth. So persevere. Remain faithful. Continue to follow in Christ's footsteps in all you say and do. Or I like as Peter ends this. We're just going to end with Peter's words. Peter in verse 19 says, So then, in light of everything he's talked about with suffering, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. Keep trusting in the Lord. Keep walking in his footsteps. Let's pray.
Father, I thank you for your word today, and I thank you just for the encouragement that Peter has for us. Lord, we recognize that we don't live in a world where we face much suffering. We don't face much persecution that often. But we also recognize that we have brothers and sisters that do. And in this space, in this time, we just want to take time to pray for them. Lord, I pray that they would be mindful that in the midst of their sufferings, whether it's our brothers and sisters who are facing persecution from ISIS, our brothers and sisters who are locked up in North Korea, who are facing their churches being burned down in Egypt, wherever it is, Lord, I pray that they would be able to recognize that they are drawing closer to you. Or that they would have a deeper, more intimate understanding of who you are, what you have done, and what you are like. And that they would long for your return on a far greater level than they could even imagine right now. Lord, I want to pray for peace, but I, I want to pray that, Lord, you continue to work through those situations. Lord, I also just want to pray that as they, as they sit there and they're teased and they're harassed and they're mocked and they're dragged through the streets because they declare themselves to be followers of the king, Lord, that they would wear that as a badge of honor. Lord, that they would take pride in that, being associated with the king. They'd be reminded of the fact that they have received the benefits of salvation. They have become your people, your, your heirs on this world your adopted sons and daughters. And Lord, that they would see how you are refining them, how you are taking away the gunk in their life, the stuff that has frustrated them for years, the things that have hindered them from being able to follow you most effectively, to live into the life that you have offered them, to fully embrace your salvation, that they would recognize those things are being stripped away through suffering. Through persecution, you are refining them. You are not hands off in their persecution, but rather you are at work. You are healing the broken. And it's in that, Lord, we pray that we would, we would be more mindful of our brothers and sisters right now. Lord, that they would not be just distant people on the television screen for us, but that we would recognize they are truly our brothers and sisters who are facing that, and that that would hurt our hearts, that it would cause us to long for your return alongside them. And for those of us in this room who are facing different forms of persecution, different forms of suffering, Lord, I pray the same for us, that we would better understand the special connection we have with you, that we would recognize the honor it is to be labeled as your people and recognize what you are doing in our lives to purify us, to cleanse us, to restore us. Lord, as we dedicate the next however long it is. Lord, may you be honored in all that we say and do. As we take communion, we be mindful of the fact that you work through communion in the same way. You purify us, you mark us as your own, and it creates a special bond between us. Lord, be glorified in our songs and in our offerings. In Jesus' name, amen.